Take a look at Mandalorian is proudly brought to you by the Four Finger Discount Network. It's Take It Like a Mandalorian, the return of Take It Like a Mandalorian podcast brought to you by the Four Figure Discount Network. We're here for the premiere of Season 2, which just streamed on Disney Plus on October 30th, 2020. It is Chapter 9, The Marshal. I am Dando. I am Guy, and yes, this uh, came just in time for Halloween. Uh, It wasn't a scary thing, but it was definitely a a neat trick on the part of Disney to give us this treat. I was very, very happy to see the the return of Mando, and of course Yodito, a.k.a. Baby Yoda, a.k.a. The Child. Uh, How about you, Dando? Were Were you looking forward to the return of The Mandalorian? Well, it's funny you say that. It just sort of dawned on me. You said, you know, just in time for Halloween. Well, this episode was about people wearing costumes, was it not? It was masks all the way. It was, you know, and not just, you know, our, our friend the Mandalorian, but uh, also the not Mandalorian um, in the, uh, where was the? The Marshal. Was the ta- yeah, the Marshal. What, what was the name of the little sort of outpost that they went to? It was Moz something. Uh, Moz Pez. I believe. Oh, Moss Pest. Yes, yes. Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, it's and Moss then everything. Moss um, yeah. Yeah, and then of course you've got the uh, the Tuscan Raiders with the uh, with their uh, face coverings as well. So yeah. Moss Pelgo, by the way. Pelgo. Pelgo. I thought you said Moss Pesto, and I'm like, oh, mm, that, that <laughs> sounds delicious. <laughs> sounds de- <laughs> delightful. Um, yeah, so Cobb Vanth. Played by who, Mr. Davis? Played by Timothy Oliphant, the great Timothy Oliphant from uh, wonderful shows like uh, like Justified, um, Santa Clarita Diet. Uh, Which is probably my favourite role of his. I do love that. He's very, very good in that. And he's currently also in the new season of the Fargo TV series, screening here in Australia on SBS, and playing a very similar character. I mean, playing, I think he's like a sheriff or just a lawman in the new season of Fargo, and he's playing also one uh, in this uh, episode of The Mandalorian, to the point where some people kind of viewed it as, not not as a gag or an inside joke or something like that, but, you know, it's like, well, of course you're going to get Timothy Oliphant to play the uh, the sheriff or the marshal of this small town because that's what he does, and he's really, yeah. really good at it. Uh, and I must admit, I mean, I'd, forgot, well, I'd forgotten that Timothy Oliphant was actually going to be in this season, and I certainly oh, did didn't you, know that Did you was... do some research on what... See, I avoided anything to do with this season. I, I didn't do any sort of, you know, um, uh, deliberate research. I think, you know, occasionally just an article will pop up in your social media feeds or something. It's like, hey, guess who's going to be involved in new season of The Mandalorian? And so I think I... Yeah, I must have read the Timothy Olm. was like, oh, that's good news. Because, <laughs> you know, he's, he's always welcome. But We um, also can't th- forget uh, Deadwood, of course. Oh, of course, Deadwood. Yeah. That was what I saying. In fact, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Deadwood because a bit of a connection there. The bartender in Mos Pelgo, admittedly mm. behind a lot of uh, latex makeup and all that kind of stuff, uh, that was an actor named W. Earl Brown. And ah. on Deadwood, he played Dan Doty, who was sort of like the uh, Swearingen's enforcer. He's, yep. a, he's a really good actor. I mean, other you might remember him also from There's Something About Mary. He was Mary's mentally uh, challenged brother. Was he really? I did not yeah. know he played that role. Okay, yeah. I can see it now. Yeah, shit, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, but um, yeah, he um, he yeah, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have uh, picked him because he's behind some not very this, no. yeah, 
very layers of makeup. But uh, I I haven't read it yet, but I did sort of put it aside to read because apparently he wrote a really nice long Twitter thread about being part of this episode and, you know, working with Oliphant again and all that kind of stuff. And I've seen other sort of social media stuff that he's done. He's a good writer as well and very sort of enthusiastic and that kind of deal. So, yeah, it was nice to have him on board as well. But the minute that... Um, Oliphant sort of strode in, you know, in the uh, in the Mandalorian armor, and the first the, the minute he said something like, "I know that voice," hey, that's Timothy Oliphant, yeah. And then yeah. yeah, and then the helmet comes off, and in a nice sort of, I don't know if they did this deliberately or not, but remember at the end of season one when Mando finally took his helmet off for the first and only time, and you know, Mando's been in the wars at this stage, so Pedro Pascal, who's a pretty handsome dude. Mm. Kind of looked like shit, and his hair was all flat and everything. He had helmet head. Yeah, they, they made sure that he didn't look very handsome. They made yes. sure he didn't look like you know super sexy or anything like that. Yeah, Oliphant takes off his helmet, beautiful quaff of uh, silver yes. fox hair. It's like red carpet style. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was just wonderful. So, um, um, but the, obviously yeah. the big reveal being that um, Timothy was wearing Boba Fett's armor. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I thought. Uh, is that Boba Fett's? And then the the more you look, it's like, well, the colours, right? And oh, okay, yeah. There's, there's something on the helmet that's definitely Boba Fett, and uh, it's definitely Boba Fett. But I'm like, that figure, that ain't Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, that was a good reveal as well. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of good Easter eggs, and uh, you know, shout outs to the fans in this episode. Not just fans of Star Wars in general, but you know, fans of the Mandalorian. I mean, the fact that um, yeah. Amy Sedaris is back, and I think she made a good impression with her. Thank appearance God, in. because she she deserves to come back. She does. You know, always always adds a bit of. This is a show that could be very easily kind of uh, not take itself too seriously, but it needs a bit of levity, and it needs the right levity. And I think people like Amy Sedaris do provide that. And even Oliphant as well. I mean, he's got a really just sort of good, dry sense of humour. Even when he's, you know, playing a generally a serious role, he can always, you know, throw in a few just sort of good little one line or something like that, and that doesn't feel like too much of a departure from the character that he's doing. It just adds a nice bit, a little bit of dry humour to it. So, well, he didn't uh, really. It, to me, he didn't really feel like a Star Wars marshal. He felt like just your small town American marshal thrown into the Star Wars universe. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, but the but you know, I think we've said in the past about these uh, about about this series that it is sort of drawing more from the stuff that inspired Star Wars than Star Wars itself. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of it's borrowing from, uh, you know, uh, Eastern and Asian stuff you know, like Lone Wolf and Cub, but it also drawing fairly heavily from Westerns and very much so in this case. 100%, 100%. So this was also, by the way, the first episode to be uh, directed by John Favreau. He wrote a lot of the first season, but because of commitments to the Lion King film, the live action one, he couldn't direct any of it. This was his first uh, first time really? directing uh, an episode. Yeah. Did he, he didn't even direct the pilot of the, uh, of the first he didn't, I see. I I've read that it was the first time he directed. I th- I'm pretty sure the first episode was directed by um. Uh, was it Dave Filoni or? Ah, uh, Filoni. Yeah, yeah. I was, the name escaped me for a second. Yeah, Dave Filoni. Yeah, yeah. Dave Filoni directed the first one, written by John Favreau. John Favreau wrote pretty much every episode of the yeah. first season ex- except for five and six. He wrote every other episode, but he didn't direct any. This is the first yeah. time directing. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I like I like the direction of this. I mean, and I think it was I think it was probably something that Favreau would have enjoyed given that his last couple of projects were, I think they were all CGI stuff, or for the most part. I mean, certainly the Jungle Book 
had barely a human in it. I think it was just, you know, the little boy and maybe one or two other human characters. But primarily it's, you know, CG animals. And likewise with the Lion King remake. So to have a chance to actually work with, uh, <laughs> to work with people and, yeah, practical sets and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, a fair bit of CGI. But, uh, no, it was, I was really, really happy with uh, how this episode all came together. I have actually had a lot of people complaining by the length of it. I, for whatever reason, forgot that the episodes were only half an hour in the first season. So when I'm watching this, I just assumed, oh, it's a 45-minute show. I just completely forgot. I'm watching it. At no point during the episode did I feel like, ugh, can we wrap this thing up? I, 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 I want to you know, go to bed. <laughs> I was enjoying it the entire time. I could have watched more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the only sort of hiccup that I had with the length of it was... Because I figured, well, <laughs> taking it behind the scenes of uh, the Four Finger Discount Network here, folks. But <laughs> well, I think we, Dan and I initially planned to record on Saturday, um, you know, and it was released on Friday night here in Australia. Uh, I was over spending time with the lovely Louise on Friday night so and didn't watch it there. And so I came back on, came back to my house on Saturday morning. I thought, oh, I've got, I've got enough time to watch it, take notes, let it sink in a bit before we start recording. And then I... Sort of press play. Oh, this goes for an hour. Oh, <laughs> and part of me was like, "Dando's going to kill me," and the other half was like, "Oh, cool, I got an hour of this of, uh, of Mandalorian to watch." I got your message eventually. You're like, "Hey, dude, um, didn't realize it was this long. Can we do it this time?" And I'm like, "Yeah, probably not. I'm in the middle of swimming lessons with my son now, so probably tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> we got there eventually. We did, we did, and um, but yeah, every minute of the 52 minutes of this episode was um was really really. I wouldn't say edge of your seat. A couple of moments were edge of your seat, but it was just, it had me enthralled. And it's, it's there's something about this show that has recaptured my love of Star Wars. I wouldn't say that I hated the latest films. I was just very indifferent with them. But I was so excited for this episode. This was something mm. I've been looking forward to since the first season ended. I've been really amped for I've been, for the entire time we've been in lockdown in 20, like 2020 has been a shitstorm. The one thing that got me through it was like, at least at the end of this, we've got the Mandalorian. Oh yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm with you um, when it comes to you know having a bit of Star Wars burnout or Star Wars fatigue, particularly after Rise of Skywalker, which um, you know I've sort of I wouldn't say I've got a love hate relationship with it. I've got a sort of a like dislike relationship with it. There were parts of it that I worked fine, but part that I thought worked fine, but parts that were like, eh, I don't know, man, and. I think the thing about Mandalorian, it sort of goes back to what I said about earlier about how this show seems more... It it seems inspired equal parts by Star Wars and by the stuff that inspired Star Wars. So, you know, whereas something like Rise of Skywalker, particularly at the end battle, you know, with, um, you know, hey, let's throw... Yeah, let's throw in every spaceship in the galaxy and let's have horses and, you know, let's have, you know, multiple lightsabers and everything, 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 everything. And it's like... Yeah, the Mandalorian doesn't quote unquote crowd the frame. No, you know it. It's got a bit of room to move and a bit of room to breathe. And you're not sort of as the viewer, you're not inundated with um, characters and effects and spectacle and all that stuff. It just it takes its time, and you know each episode. I mean, it's of course there's the you know, sort of the overarching. This is what's going to happen in this season, in the eight or so episodes of this season. But you know, this you know there may be an episode that has really nothing to do with that, and it's just a standalone bottle episode. That's fine. 
and that's great. You know, there was shows like, you know, shows that did that that went forever. I mean, the original Fugitive did that. I mean, the original Fugitive was, okay, I've got to prove my innocence and prove that a one-armed man killed my wife and, you know, evade the law and all that. But mostly it was Dr. Richard Kimball sort of going from town to town and he'd sort of get into scrapes or, you know, he'd use his doctor skills to maybe solve a mystery or cure a disease or something like that. Maybe not cure a disease. But then he had to split and, you know, because he's the fugitive. But And he'd do that from me in episode to episode. And likewise, The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, or The Child or Yodito, um, are going to go from place to place. And, you know, they'll make it to the end of their story. Or, I mean, they, they, they set up front in this episode, okay, I've got to find more Mandalorians or, you know. That's good. And that's going to be the arc of the season. Yeah, that's it. And so he's going to go from place to place, have adventures, and the, the episode, the adventure in episode two may not be related to the adventure in episode three. They, they'll have sort of maybe links, but uh, yeah, mostly we're just going to get a new adventure with the Mandalorian and, and Baby Yoda each episode. And, you know, and Carl Weathers and uh, um, Gina Carano. Gina and, Carano, yeah. Other people we've come to know. So, yeah. And, uh, and who's the... Uh, uh, Fring, Gus Fring, what's his name? And Gus Fring, yeah. And who and I'm guessing whoever Jake the Muss, aka Temi Wera Morrison. Yeah, so the big reveal of this episode being that he, you know, Boba Fett is alive. After all these years, he didn't die in the in the Sarlacc pit, he survived, and now he is going to be on the show without his armor, which I think is a pretty cool twist. So they, they threw you the red herring of the marshal wearing Boba Fett's armor, so you think, ah, so they sort of set it up, you're like, Oh, there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine. <gasps> Could it be? Could it be? Could it be Boba Fett? And then it's not. Uh, no, it's a great actor, but it's not Boba Fett. Okay, whatever. True, That's fine. True. It's the Marshal. And then at the end, we get the reveal. Holy shit! Boba Fett's alive. He's not wearing his armor. Shit's about to get real. <laughs> now, on your on your point though about the uh, the long game, so I wanted to call out a particular person, a particular reviewer from Indie Wire, and their name is or his name is Ben Travers. And if I've ever read a review from a millennial, it is this one. So the headline is oh. The Mandalorian Season 2 Review, Episode 1, stretches this long game in a pretty trivial premiere. His big uh, complaint about the episode is it's too long, has nothing to do with the arc, doesn't further the story, and he felt like he was wasting his time. Ben, that's pretty weak source, man. <laughs> yeah. that's, like, that's just like, dude, that's like impatience. Like, dude, do you not. Like, you don't have to get. The, an ending to the story in the first episode. It's the premiere. Calm down. Yeah. It's yeah. It's building the foundation of your house, man. Yeah, just uh, yeah. No, I look. Reviews are of course opinions, and you know this man's entitled to his opinion, uh, as wrongheaded and you know dumbass as it may be. Um, but uh, yeah, to get sort of bunched up in that particular way about this particular episode seems eh, not quite right to me. Absolutely the, the, not. The, the subtitle to it says, John Favreau crafts an hour-long western for the Mandalorian's return, but lavish effects and plenty of Easter eggs just simply do not justify the length of this crate. What? The the length? Like, it's an hour. It's 50 minutes. It's not even an hour. What? <laughs> Jesus, this guy ever what, else, what else you got going on in your life that you're gonna be you know uh, hurry up wrap it up mandalorian my only know, theory want- is that this guy's paid per review and not per hour quite possibly or he wanted to go trick-or-treating who knows <laughs> that is also possibly true but anyway so one thing i did notice about so the, the basic plot of the episode is mandalorian is looking for fellow mandalorians to help him reunite yodito baby yoda the child with his kind 
Uh, Gore Koresh, uh, who is played by... Who is Gore Koresh played by? Oh, Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers movie. What's his name? John, John Leguizamo. Yes, yeah. yes. So he plays uh, Koresh, who meets a very untimely death. I'm, I'm glad they didn't show it, but it, it, it's kind of like... It reminded me of Scar at the end of The Lion King with the hyenas, don't you reckon? Oh, yeah. All those little sort of red-eyed, red-eyed things coming out of the dark, yeah. He, he's in trouble. <laughs> so, he- Oh, yeah. And I mean... And of course, Mando, you know, Mando covers his ass by saying, you know, I promise you'll not die by my hand. As soon as he says that, I'm like, this guy's dying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's the thing. I mean, that's a really sort of cliched thing to say for a hero to say. It's like, I promise I won't kill you, but I didn't promise that that guy won't kill you. It's like, eh, yeah, but it's, it's been seen many times before, but it's always fun to sort of, it's always fun when it's done right. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I actually thought when he said that, I'm like, is Baby Yoda going to kill this guy? <laughs> uh, so he tells Mando that there's a Mandalorian on Tatooine that he's heard of, um, but we soon learn that that's just actually uh, the Marshal wearing Boba Fett's outfit. Uh, he's a tire. He's Mando gear. Um, uh, Cobb, is it Cobb Vanth is his name um, in Mos Palgo. And basically the story is that there's a crate Dragon, which I love this tie-in. So in Star Wars A, News, a New Hope, uh, Obi Wan scares away the the uh, sand people um, with the, the the call, and that was a crate dragon call. So that's oh, why okay. that's how that ties into this. So the sand people are terrified of the crate dragon, um, and they want it dead. They have to team up with the people from uh, Mos Palgo, even though the sand people and them are like at war with each other. They have to team up for the greater good with the help of Mando and the Marshal yeah. to uh, to destroy the crate gra- uh, crate dragon. Yeah. See, now that's that's a that's a real just you know sort of archetypal western cowboys yeah. and in, in cowboys and indians have to team up to you know fight a greater threat kind of deal you know it, it's as it's a tale as old as time well not quite as old as time but it's certainly you know it's got a <laughs> it's got a bit of dust on it but you know favreau and everyone involved with this with the mandalorian dust it off and they make it shine like gold man i mean it's marvelous and the other thing i mean you know i, th- I've, I think i've heard some people take issue with a Oh, Tatooine, aren't there any other bloody planets in the galaxy? <laughs> you know, but going back to Tatooine, it's it's sort of going back to what I said before about how... Your childhood? Is, yeah, it's clearly inspired by Star Wars. And I think, a lot, you know, and the, a particularly A New Hope, particularly the 1977 first episode that yeah. we ever saw. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of Star Wars, they actually think of, you know the land speeder and Luke on Tatooine and all that kind of business. I think a lot of that sort of lingers in the memory. And it's maybe not the first thing you think of when you think of Star Wars, but I think it's a really prevalent memory of, um, certainly for old school Star Wars fans. So to go back to Tatooine and to have those lovely shots of like, you know, zooming across the desert and... um, The two suns and everything. Yeah, and old old sort of desert um, outposts with, you know, like one bar and all that kind of stuff. It's like... Oh yeah, this is uh, giving me little flashbacks to first time I watched Star Wars, or you know, my enjoyment of Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. So I've got no problem with going back to Tatooine. Plus, it's a really, it's a great location. I think yeah. it's, I think it look it looks marvelous. All that all those wide open spaces and valleys and whatnot. And, uh, and well, it's where plus, a lot of it's a lot of crime on Tatooine, and it suits the vibe of the Mandalorian show. It absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. And I think a good thing that it does as well is it sort of gives a little. Um, a little time and flesh and a little more uh, depth to the whole Tusken Raiders slash Sand People kind of thing as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah. the fir- the first season 
gave you a little more insight into Jawas and all that kind of stuff. Not a whole lot. I mean, we're not learning a great deal about their customs and all that kind of business. But, yeah, it's good to revisit them and it's good to give them a little more room to move in the story as opposed to just, as in A New Hope, when they was like, oh, better watch out for these guys, they're trouble. It's like, well, no, these guys are just trying to survive in the desert like everybody else. 100%. They're not just pests out in the desert. They've got... Living beings with emotions. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, I dug that Mando, you know, when he, he first meets them, he's cool with them. You know, this, you know, they're... He doesn't discriminate. Yeah, they're not, a, they're not an enemy or anything like that. It's just like, okay, well, you know, our paths might be... Our paths have crossed and we may actually have a common purpose and a common goal here. So, no, I, I, yeah, I like all that very much. And on the topic of going back to Tatooine, I feel like the only people who tend to complain about that are people who aren't actually Star Wars fans. Because if you're a Star Wars fan, you love Tatooine. Like you said, it reminds you, you of those actually, original. Yeah. yeah, it reminds you of those original films. I couldn't give a shit that they're going back to Tatooine. I'm glad they're on Tatooine. But people who aren't yeah. Star Wars fans will be like, oh, really? Ugh. It's like, well, this show isn't targeted at you, so why do you care? <laughs> yeah, look, admittedly, I think there are different types of Star Wars fans. I mean, you've got old school generation ex old bastards like myself, and maybe. <laughs> to a lesser extent, you, Dando, were like, you know, we like New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. I, I, was, still, gen- I was still young enough to, like, I was old enough, young enough, whatever. I was still, when Star Wars was around when I was a kid growing up, it was still just the original trilogy. So I was raised on the original trilogy still, you know? Yeah. But you've got a generation that uh, the thinks the prequels are, are kind of it. That, that I mean, I, I don't know about those people, but you know, but that's a, that, when they think of Star Wars, they think of that. And then you've, now you've got kids as well that uh, their first exposure to it, perhaps their first exposure to it, is Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker. So mm, I don't know exactly where I was going with that, but I mean, this show I feel like appeals to the fans of the originals. It appeals to I, it appeals it appeals to our demo, you know. I think so. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. A lot of those people have kids now, and you know they, you know, their kids probably said early on, "Can we sign up for Disney Plus? Uh, you know, I want to see you know whatever's on there at any time." And you know, now that the Mandalorian's on there, these old parents can sort of sit down, sit down with the kids and say, "Now, when I was a kid, this is what Star Wars was like." <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think is actually quite fitting is that you know, we're well over twenty minutes into this podcast, and we've barely spoken about Yodito, Baby Yoda, and. My point here is that this episode proved to me that whilst he's the overall arc, he really doesn't need to be in episodes for the show to work. No, look, I'm I'm sure he's going to play a more more sizable role in future episodes. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I, right, at, yeah. At, no, at no point was I going. When are we going to see Baby Yoda again? Yoda. You know? yeah. he, was, he was in like the first you know, first five minutes. He goes to Amy Sedaris, and that's it. You never see him again. Yeah, there's and there's look. There's a I don't lot know, of actually, no, ways. Or, or, or do we see him again? Because he because he saw man. Why was he at the um? Mando must go back and grab him before they have the big final battle because he was there when Mando got eaten by the crate dragon. Yeah. So he must have gone back to get him. Well, you do see him in the um in the saddlebag a bit. You know, there's an often there's often a bit of a cutaway to him sort of in there with his big eyes and his little ears and all that kind of business. Okay, yeah. So he, he's just there to sort of he he pops up just for some facial expressions, just to remind the viewer. No, he's still there. Oh yeah, you know, he, he, Baby Yoda's around, well, yeah. but he played really no part in the story of this episode. I guess that's no, my point. no, he's 
No, he's not. A, he's not uh, sort of pivotal to to what happens in the episode. He's more sort of there for for cutaways. Now, um, the the filmmaker Robert Rodriguez. I'm pretty sure he's not the first person to say this, but he had great advice, particularly for young filmmakers when he was making like his seven thousand dollar debut, El Mariachi. It's like always. He had a dog. I don't know if it was his dog or there was just a dog that was part of the the story. But it's like. Always get as many shots of the dog as you can and then, you know, sort of have cutaways to it. You know, if you don't know how to end a scene or you need just a little bit of a, yeah, you need a cutaway, cut to the dog. No one's going to be disappointed when they see the dog. And I get the feeling that's the same with with baby Yoda or with the child. You know, there's always a few sort of cutaways like, oh, yeah, that's right. We like like that little green guy. I, I did love the. Uh, I think it was in the first. Oh, by the way, scene. I think Rodriguez yeah. is actually going to be directing at least one episode of this season of the. Is he really? Well. Yeah. Are you sure? Wow, that'd be cool. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, I did love Baby Yoda when he sees. So when Koresh and his goons have Mando sort of like surrounded in the fighting, in the in like, in like <laughs> yeah. the fighting arena in the in the room, and Baby Yoda's like, "Yeah, fuck this," puts himself in the because he knows that Mando's about to fuck shit up. Closes well, his dome was, and backs up. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing that bit in the in the trailer for the for the new season, thinking, "Okay, this is one of two things: either, yeah, uh, Baby Yoda knows the troubles ahead, and you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm scared, and cover myself up, or, okay, my man Mando's about to fuck some shit up, and I don't want to get caught in the crossfire. Cover up. So, um, yeah, yeah. either way, it works. But yeah, it, but uh, always a pleasure to see that little green guy." But yeah, but overall though, this was certainly a very, very enjoyable fifty-two minutes. At no point was I bored. I could have watched more. It, it's it's crazy to think that you know these new latest Star Wars films they've been pretty hit and miss. This was fifty-two minutes. This was essentially half a film, and it was fucking great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I was already psyched. I was already psyched for this season. I mean, just based on anticipation from season one because season one just continued to continue to sort of hit it out of the park with each episode um hearing about people that they were going to bring on board for this episode and just even moving the story forward it's like yeah i'm i'm really really psyched for this like you i was like yeah 2020 has been you know very average it's taken a lot of good people away from us um oh, oh sorry it's just thinking about sean connery who passed away yeah. on the weekend rest rest in peace sir sean um you know there's been that, there's been, well, you know, diseases and there's been Donald Trump and there's been a whole bunch of shit. But hey, we got the Mandalorian and that actually is sort of making making things feel a bit better. And you've got to give credit to John Favreau because that first episode, the premiere of season one, no one knew what to expect and it was a huge success, right? This mm. episode, man, had so much anticipation. Like he had to deliver with this and boy yeah. did he. Yeah, a lot of that had to do with, you know, just the way it was handled and being faithful to... You know, Mandalorian lore as they've already set it up, but I mean, yeah, bringing Oliphant on board because I mean, to my mind, Oliphant's like Jeff Bridges. Like, who who's upset when Timothy Oliphant shows up? Nobody. Yeah, <laughs> you, you got to be happy about that. And the fact that he's sort of playing a cowboy, you know, he, the fact that he says things like, "Round here, I'm the one who tells folks what to do." It's like, oh, that's just a made for Oliphant line. Or yeah, yeah. Know, he actually, I think there's something about you know. He says something about a, uh, the Great Dragon at some stage, uses the line, or uses the term, slay the Leviathan. It's like, I think only Timothy Oliphant could actually pull that off. Well, some, people have said like that, that. some people have said it was cliche casting, but to me, I think it was perfect casting. You know he yeah, works yeah. in this role, so why not use him that way? Yeah, I mean, look, there's 
there's stereotype casting and there's archetype casting. Yeah, if you want if you want a character like this, get the pe- best person for the job, <laughs> and they did. Um, so what we like to do here before we wrap up at the end of our Take Like a Mandalorian podcast is we like to predict where we think the show is going to go next. So we mentioned the overall arc of this season is going to be Mando trying to find fellow Mandalorians to uh, get, help get Baby Yoda, the child, back to his people. I don't think in this season he's going to end up back with his people. We probably will see, probably in the finale, another Yoda species character, do you think? Maybe that's where the show's going to head. I think like they're going to hold that off for at least a finale, right? I would think so. Yeah, that'll be like that'll be like the hook for um for the uh, for the episode. But uh, Moff, um, what? Who's uh, Gus Fring? What's his character? Moff. Uh, Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. Yeah, Moff Gideon. So he's obviously he wasn't in this episode at all, which surprised me because that was you know the the big mm. tease for the end of season one was him with the uh, with the, the the dark saber, right? When he burst yeah. out of when he when he cut his way out of his um out of his ship. He was nowhere to be seen here. I was like, "Oh, okay." Gina wasn't in this episode, so they obviously I just wanted to. Yeah. They, they wanted to be Mando based. I think this episode was the one to. It was it was the Boba Fett episode, I guess, because a lot of people going into the Mandalorian were were thinking, "Is this going to be about Boba Fett at all?" Because the this episode, this uh, show was um, spawned by the idea of having a Boba Fett film, which they canned and it turned into the mm. Mandalorian. Man, uh, Boba Fett was teased a couple of times throughout the first season, but never actually appeared. But now we're actually going to see uh, uh, Boba Fett in the flesh without his uniform, of course, without his um, his armor. The Mando has his armor, so who knows? He might um, put it back on. But uh, the the fact that Boba Fett is alive and well has me, as an old school Star Wars fan, very excited for what's to come. And look, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from exactly. And I mean, I was never a huge Boba Fett fan. I think I've been on the record as saying, yeah, mm. this guy was only in, you know, this guy was only in the story for not long at all. And he, you know, fell into a pit. Good on him. That, that, that That's the guy you're so jazzed about. But seeing him, seeing Temuera Morrison at the end of this episode, and, you know, he's an imposing guy. And he sort of looks, he's, he's, uh, I want to say aged well, but he kind of, he oh, looks no. like an he, he, old he, school bruiser. He, he does, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that he's got the armor off, and you know, it's like, oh well, yeah, this guy's not to be messed with. And he's a fucking great actor, so he can he can actually he can actually emote now. We've never seen Boba Fett emote, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, that's probably the fact that he's out of the armor and that he's played by this terrific actor who you know, is a terrific actor, but also plays tough guys very well. Um I think that's got me more excited than uh, than I've never been excited about Boba Fett. So, yeah, that's I mean, great. A, a, a showdown between the Mando and Boba Fett's going to be something to yeah. get people talking for sure. And that's it, and that's before you even throw in, uh, you know, Moff Gideon or any other threats that are going to come over the next... Uh, is it is it an eight-episode season, this one? I mean, uh, I think they're eight-episode seasons. Ah, uh, this is, yeah, eight episodes. Now, I'm assuming that he will be the mysterious figure, revealed as the mysterious figure who uh, approached... Yeah, the, the 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 body at the end of um the gunslinger episode five. Remember the end of the gunslinger? There was um mm. there was the the female. Yes, that's right. She was yeah. out in the desert, and a, a mysterious figure approached her, and you you immediately thought, oh shit, that's Boba Fett, but it was never actually mentioned again. Yeah. I'm assuming that's going to be Boba Fett, right? It would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would make sense. Yeah, I, I just think this show is fantastic. The storytelling is great. What's also great about it is that John Favreau has his fingerprints all over it, so you don't get 
like what happened with the films where you got one writer writing one movie, then another writer writing the next one and fucking up everything that happened from the previous one and the next yeah. one having to try and fix the mistakes, or well, not the mistakes, but fix the changes that were made because he didn't agree with them. It's one person's uh, ideology, or maybe a couple, maybe Dave Filoni as well, but it's, you know, they're like-minded, they're on the same wavelength. This show, it's got so many plot points all intertwining in various ways. I just, I can't be any more excited for The Mandalorian. I'm just, it's great. And honestly, I think that this kind of serialized storytelling um, it would be a really smart move and a really positive move for Star Wars moving forward. I really think they maybe need to give the uh, the big screen version of it, maybe put it on the shelf for a little while and let us miss that. Well, in the That's meantime, it. you know, do do these smaller scale stories for the uh, for the small screen, or depending on how big your your TV is, but. Um, because, I mean, they, they're doing The Mandalorian. I think they're still working on the one with the Cassian Endor character from Rogue One, played by Diego Luna. I think they're still working on that. As, I think there's an Obi-Wan series as well. Uh, they are talking about, yeah, the Kenobi series with Ewan McGregor. And in all honesty, if they made a solo series with Alden Ehrenreich, continuing on from the, from the movie, I'd be more psyched for that than I, than I might be for Mandalorian, depending on the people they got to, to do it. I don't know if I'm more psyched than Mandalorian until after I'd at least watched it, yeah. but I really enjoyed Solo, and the tease at the end of Solo was so great that it just yeah. broke my heart that the movie failed because Last Jedi ruined everything for everybody. Like, like I mean, yeah. I'm not saying Last Jedi was a bad film, but it left a bad taste in so many people's mouths that people just went, I ain't watching anything else that Disney's putting out for a while. And it was like two or three months later when Solo came out, and the, the movie was just destined to fail. Yeah, and it's a, it's a shame because I think, yeah, in the couple of years since then, I think more and more people are kind of going, yeah, I think Solo is actually more, <laughs> certainly old school Star Wars fans going, yeah, that's the kind of Star Wars we like. It was kind of like a teaser for The Mandalorian, wasn't it? It was a bit, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how tricky they want to get if they want to go all sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe with it and have crossovers and all that kind of business with the series. And, I mean, I... I'm not that sort of um, uh, up to date with my timelines that maybe these things would cross over. Maybe, maybe it would be better if they kept them all separate. If, if they could pull it off in a way where the live action series all intertwined, you don't have to have watched the CGI shows like the Clone Wars and all those kind of things. If you mm. don't have to have watched those and they can just make this some sort of like a live action uh, TV universe, like the, like the MCU, but just with television... I think yeah. it would be great. I, I think I really think they could pull it off if because the, the right people seem to be behind it. The Mandalorian to me feels like a show that's funded by Disney but made by Star Wars fans. The movies felt yeah. like they were, you know, it felt like it had Disney's fingerprints all over it. You know, yeah, absolutely. But no, I'm very, I'm very, very happy that this uh, that this series is back. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about it each week. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm psyched that they are doing it week by week as well. That we're not it's sort of so much. They're better. dropping all eight at once. Because I've got a friend, I actually said to my friend, um, I'll name him, Matt Blom, one of my dear friends, he, uh, he's a big Star Wars fan, and he said to me, oh, um, I'm not going to get Disney Plus until all the episodes are out, are out and I'm just going to smash it out. And I'm like, yeah, but I really enjoy the fact that it's out week by week because it gives you time to absorb and discuss what the, the, the events of the episode because when you smash out an entire season in a couple of days, it all just becomes one big blur. You don't know what came when and... I don't know. It just to me, it feels like watching an eight-hour movie as opposed to yeah. watching a series where you can just take everything in and appreciate it all. You know, digest it. Yeah, I think there are certain things that, um, yeah, are built for binging. I think you know Netflix is really sort of refining that more and more, and you know stuff that's being developed for them 
they are you Tiger King construct- and shit like that. Yeah, constructing them so you know, oh, I've got the weekend, or I've you know, I've got this Saturday, and I'm not doing anything. Yeah, I'll watch all of the Queen's Gambit, which is a show that I highly recommend, by the way, and uh, goes for about seven hours and definitely worth watching. But um, yeah, something like this. Yeah, I think it would. I it would feel almost too much. You'd feel like you'd spoiled your dinner if you you know watched it all at once. It's great to have those bite-sized portions. Uh, week per week per week. B- build that anticipation. Great. Another thing, this may sound really pulling at strings, but you know, us old school fans, we grew up where you watched the show week by week. You got excited for it. You set some time mm. aside on the Sunday night or whenever it aired, the Thursday night. You knew Thursday night was you know Simpsons night or it was Stargate night yeah. or whatever. And this feels like that. Friday night is now Mandalorian night. Yeah. So I mean, look, I think there's. I certainly think there's room for both in the uh, in the current viewing landscape. I think you can have been stuff and you know sometimes a binge is is great and great fun but you know i think there's also the stuff that you get on disney plus like this or you know stuff on hbo or foxtel or what have you like you know say game of thrones or lovecraft country or you know currently the undoing that they're sort of dropping week by week and it's like oh oh i actually can't wait for next week and you're more inspired to go back and um yeah the anticipation's built enough that you're like, oh, can't wait. And, you know, it's appointment television. So uh, There's also less chance of having shit spoiled because, for example, Stranger Things, the entire season comes out at once. There's a good chance yeah. you're going to have something spoiled because the whole season comes out, someone watches it in one big go. And if you haven't got the yeah. time to watch it one big go, you're like, you've got to avoid social media, you've got to avoid all these things. But now that's mm. episode by episode, you know, you can just you can avoid the spoilers because everyone has time. Well, not everyone, but most people would have time yeah. to sit down and watch a 45-minute television show. Absolutely. Um, but let us know what you think of the podcast and what you thought of uh, Chapter 9, The Martial Law of the Mandalorian. Let us know at takeitlikeamandalorian at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us in the iTunes store. Also, if you're a fan of Four Figure Discount, you can check out our other podcasts available now for free. We've got Talking Seinfeld, Tales of Futurama, as well as our classic Four Figure Discount Simpsons podcast, all available now on fourfigurediscount.com.au. Uh, Mr. Davis, I know you like to do this on, our, on a Four Figure Discount podcast, but Take It Like a Mandalorian. Do you have any final words for our listeners? Wherever he goes, I go. And that's talking about you, Dando. You do.